These are yeah. things that many of our small businesses are now considering. These things are becoming mm -hmm. more known. They're mm -hmm. asking questions, being curious about what can I do to get help from you and these other partners that can help me. So the market has opened up more because our small businesses are realizing that it's no longer optional uh, to avoid pursuing resources for growth and sustainability. Welcome to Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground, where we talk about supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity with everyone from academics, historians, and business leaders. With your hosts, Chloe Guidry-Reed and Adam Moore, you'll hear inspiring stories and practical tips for overcoming challenges and gaining insights into supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity. Let's dive in. This episode is brought to you by Higher Ground. Higher Ground is a technology company whose mission is to bridge the wealth gap through access to procurement opportunities. Higher Ground is making the enterprise ecosystem more viable, profitable, and competitive by clearing the path for minority-led, women-led, LGBT-led, and veteran-led small businesses to contribute to the global economy as suppliers to enterprise organizations. For more information on getting started, please visit us at higherground.io. That's H-I-R-E-G-R-O-U-N-D.io. Now on to the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground. I'm Adam Moore in studio once again with Chloe Goodrich. So good to be back with you again, Chloe. Yes, yes, And yes. in today's episode, we're joined by Victor Brown with the Birmingham Business Alliance. Victor provides leadership and oversight for procurement initiatives and small business growth, as well as consulting expertise as part of the Alliance Business Advisory Services Program. Victor is committed to providing guidance and support to small and medium-sized businesses with growth plans by helping them make connections, pursue greater opportunities, effectively address challenges that they face, and increase their pipeline for new business. Welcome to the show, Victor. It's a pleasure to have you join us today, sir. It's great to be here. Thank you. Excellent. Yes, 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 yes. We are so happy to have you, Victor. And, you know, I, I am excited to tell for our listeners to hear yes. all of the amazing things that are happening in Birmingham. Mm -hmm. So maybe we could get started mm -hmm. with you telling us a little bit about what the mission is of the Birmingham Business Alliance. Yeah, happy to do that. Birmingham Business Alliance is the first stop destination for businesses that are already operating and currently doing business in Birmingham mm -hmm. or considering an operation in Birmingham. Mm -hmm. uh, the BBA is the Economic Development Agency for the greater Birmingham region and the local chamber of commerce for the city of Birmingham. Our mission mm -hmm. is to help businesses start, stay, and succeed in Birmingham, Alabama. Interesting. So it is just Birmingham. You probably feel like that was clearly stated <laughs> in that sense. But I think that's interesting, right? You guys are just solely focused on Birmingham. And can you give us a little bit of reason why, right? So we've talked to a lot of different agencies on the show, different NGOs, if you will. Uh, and they usually have a state or a regional or a national outreach. Very rarely have we talked to a group that's so laser focused on one city, so to speak. So talk to us a little bit about why that's so important uh, for Birmingham to have kind of this uh, spotlight that you guys provide it. Generally, what you'll find in any city, uh, whether it's Atlanta, where Chloe is located, or other cities like Los Angeles, mm -hmm. you generally will have a chamber of commerce that is the regional chamber of commerce. And they work on a bit more than what your local chamber in a city that may 
not have a large population. Mm -hmm. So in the region, which is really a seven county region that includes cities and counties outside of Birmingham for years, that was our footprint. Okay. And what we found over time was that each local community really doesn't want the large regional chamber involved in their cities and counties. But yet, because of our ability to do more for those cities and counties, then we're there for them when they need us. But it took us a while to get there. I've been here 15 years, and I would say in the last two years, we definitely have listened to them have heard what they have said, and they even fund us to support Hmm. them. But the message is don't leave Birmingham to come to our city and county outside of Jefferson County. And much of what we do also touches Jefferson County, Hmm. but primarily city of Birmingham. So then when you look at the region, there's a specific reason for that, different motivations for that, that are not all based on what we may be able to do more of. We certainly have the ability to, and Chloe Guidry-Reed knows this, to (laughs) assist companies that are not Birmingham-based. However, the strategy behind that is Chloe Guidry-Reed and Higher Ground have a relationship with a major corporation that has a presence in Birmingham. Uh And because of that, by assisting Higher Ground, we, in essence, are also assisting that major corporation that is doing Mm -hmm. business with higher ground. So there's a lot more to it. I've met companies that are not based here that we've assisted. Yeah. Uh, And we will do that if a company is in Alabama and they're not in Birmingham and they ask us for assistance, then we'll provide it. But by and large, there's Mm -hmm. a laser beam focus on the city. Wow. That's really great. And I think that's kind of important, too. Because sometimes it feels like we all can be a little schizophrenic in this job, right? Yes. Especially the, the the bigger and bigger and bigger the scope gets. So it's nice to see that focus on Birmingham and what you guys are doing there at the BBA. That's awesome. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. It's exciting. It is so exciting. And talk to us, Victor, just a little bit about your specific role yeah. and, and the role you play in, in orchestrating all of this. So my role in the mission is really a primary focus on small business. So once again, Mm -hmm. here comes that laser beam. (laughs) Uh, And these small businesses are located in Birmingham. Okay. And we also support our large corporations with their procurement efforts, as as you mentioned, as you were reading my bio. Mm -hmm. Uh, And these efforts are for local businesses and diverse businesses. And I'm the point person for that effort in my role. Nice. And so when you're focusing on the diverse and small businesses, are there certain categories you're really looking for? Because I know that's sometimes what we're asked a lot is like, well, what are people even looking for? Right. So from where you're sitting, that would be kind of an interesting kind of sub question to this is, are there categories that you're seeing not getting filled? Like maybe if a corporate came to you and said, hey, Victor, we're looking for X, Y, Z, can't find it. Or are you just happening to noticing gaps? I mean, what are you kind of seeing out there in the, the different product and service mix that our different MBEs are? Are, are providing right now? Much of our work is driven by what happened during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Much of what we do is mm-hmm. driven by a focus on Black-owned businesses in particular, mm-hmm. because it was found that okay. Black-owned businesses mm-hmm. have been lagging behind for many, many years. And for whatever reason, whether that's within 
the black community mm-hmm. not operating similar to maybe the way the Hispanic community operates at the Asian mm-hmm. community operates in diversity language, Asian Pacific Islander is used as an identity group. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I remember when I had my accounting business in Atlanta, Georgia, where Chloe is <laughs> when I had my accounting business, I was doing accounting for some gentlemen that were from an Asian country. Mm-hmm. And at the time, one of the guys who I was referred by my first client was living in an apartment with 14 other people. Oh, wow. And oh, those 14 wow. people took turns launching businesses. And over the course of time, they each had a business and all of them were making extremely great revenue in their companies. That is somewhat unique. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that community, I think sometimes in the Hispanic, Latino, Latina community, there's similar activities that take place. Mm-hmm. Don't find that as much in the black community. I think mm-hmm. probably back in the 60s, maybe in the 50s, you had a bit more nuclear family activity. Mm-hmm. But I think in corporate America over time in the black community, the success that many black executives experienced in corporate America in the 70s really drove many of us away. I'm guilty of taking those corporate jobs that were not available Mm. uh, in the 50s and 60s for my mom and dad and my grandparents. My grandfather wanted to be a school teacher in uh, North Carolina and had to leave the city that he and my grandmother were in because blacks were not allowed to be school teachers and principals in the city. So they had to leave. So fast forward to the 70s and 80s, there were so many more choices, uh, including starting small businesses, but it probably wasn't happening as much. So I think Mm -hmm. there's really, when you look at companies like Chloe's, it's like back to the future. It's like, hey, let's emerge back. I'm excited about the millennial generation because they are choosing entrepreneurship and risk-taking in a really big way. And I think Gen Z is going to come along and do that. My generation, the baby boomer generation, we really were the folks that wanted corporations and sitting as I'm sitting now in a corner office by a window, (laughs) but that's just not, that's not the flavor uh, of things right now. But I think uh, in answer to your question, the George Floyd murder, the pandemic, the the need, uh, Brookings Institute did a study. And by and large, I think the top priority is Black-owned business, but the work that we do here at the Birmingham Business Alliance is for small business that includes Mm -hmm. Black-owned, Latino-owned, women-owned businesses, and even small businesses that might be owned by a white male. Mm -hmm. So we, Mm -hmm. we have diversity in everything we do, but clearly there is a focus on Black business and African-American-owned companies that are in desperate need of support. Right, right. Mm -hmm. Where everybody needs Mm -hmm. help, those communities need more attention there so they don't get left behind and we don't find ourselves in even a a more disparative situation or landscape than we have already. So I totally, totally agree with that. Right, right. And you mentioned something, Victor, about just the pandemic and everything that happened with the George Floyd murders. How has the pandemic and the wake of civil unrest really opened up markets for some of the small businesses? Specific to, you know, in the Birmingham, Alabama area. It was tough goings um, even before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. However, something did happen after the George Floyd uh, murder and the closing of so many small businesses mm-hmm. around the nation. Mm-hmm. The number of programs uh, to support small businesses is really unprecedented. I've never seen 
I know. We've never yeah. seen uh, every day, every other day, we get an email saying, hey, here's a t- grant for $10,000 and here's a grant for $5,000. And then corporations were giving mm-hmm. $100 million, And mm-hmm. we, we've got a situation now. We were on a call with the Minority Business Development Agency. They have a new undersecretary position that was created oh, and wow. held by Donald Cravens. Uh, and Donald is over the Minority Business Development Agency as the lead for minority business under the Department of Commerce. Mm-hmm. And he, like many of us, is saying, okay, where is all this money, these hundreds of millions of dollars mm-hmm. that are supposed to flow in to help Black-owned businesses? Right. Uh, I don't know if Chloe has any of that in her bank account, but we've been, we <laughs> all have been asking, where is that money? And now, I believe with all of the phenomenal things that are happening with the rescue funds and all the infrastructure money that's floating down, that we will have an opportunity to get a handle on how do we access uh, that money. But even with that, just constantly hearing about programs more than ever that are helping companies. I mean, many small businesses, as you may know, uh, during the summer, spring and summer of 2020, began to hear about the SBA. Mm-hmm. You know, this small business right. administration was something that a lot of small businesses did not know about. Yeah. And right. the SBA and the Small Business mm-hmm. Development Center, they have helped markets to open up for small business as a result of the pandemic, things that people never thought of. So, so many of our small business owners were making money and doing really well as solopreneurs and that type of thing. So they never wanted to get a loan and definitely didn't want to get investors. But the pandemic showed that there's a benefit in building a company. There's a benefit in being more than just a mom and pop shop, that it may be beneficial Mm. to build and grow a company. And that's definitely space we're in. Also, Minority Business Development Agency, like I mentioned before, as well as organizations that provide certification, These are things that many of our small businesses are now considering. These things are becoming Mm -hmm. more known. They're Mm -hmm. asking questions, being curious about what can I do to get help from you and these other partners that can help me. So the market has opened up more because our small businesses are realizing that it's no longer optional uh, to avoid pursuing resources for growth and sustainability. Mm -hmm. You almost have to participate or get left behind. Right. Uh, as, as quickly as things are moving. Yeah, absolutely. It's almost like grow or die. And it's not grow that everybody yeah. grow, but yeah, it's it's really something for people to consider and don't just blow it off. Completely yeah. agree with you. But, you know, Victor, you, you kind of touched on something I, that uh, I wonder if you can help ex- expand on. Um, and I've been saying it for some time and I'm like, you know, the 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 piper is going to have to get paid at some point. Right. We've had the payroll protection act that we had as, as when the pandemic came out. Right. Like you said, there seems to be a new program coming up every week, every other day, as we're trying to help resuscitate the 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 hit that small businesses took, especially in that kind of startup bootstrap phase. But, you know, the one thing we never saw was like a lot of reporting around it. And I've been saying for a long time, somebody, some senator or somebody is going to stand up one day and go, well, what did we do with all, you know, what, what did it do at the end of the day? You know, what did it do? Are you starting to see that? Are you starting to see some more? kind of uh, reporting standards or like a outcome report or summary that's starting to come out in some of these different programs? Or what are you seeing from your side? So what I'm seeing now, I don't think we're at that point quite yet. I think right mm-hmm. now we're in what I would refer to as the accountability phase. I mm-hmm. think okay. yeah. people are waking up and realize, oh, I've got to get forgiveness on either agencies are saying that you should not have that you're going to have to pay this loan back 
Mm-hmm. Agencies are saying here's fraud. But right. I've also heard something interesting that I think might be the critical mass. I believe that there are many, many companies that got the PPP that have no idea how to apply for forgiveness and they qualify. Oh, and that's my yeah. big concern. Mm, that's a great. So I, yeah. I believe before we get to the point of metrics, measurement, impact, we've got to get beyond it may be beyond 2023, maybe it's beyond mm-hmm. 2024. What I hope and pray doesn't happen is that a large number of people end up either getting in trouble or not getting their loan forgiven when they really should be able to get it forgiven. And I think it's right. going to be incumbent upon me either in this role or as a volunteer in mm-hmm. my church or in a nonprofit somewhere mm-hmm. that we find out where these people are, get with United Way and others and figure right. out how we can help them. So just like we used to help them through the the VISTA program to get their taxes done mm-hmm. or the VITA yep. program rather to get their yep. taxes right. done. Maybe we need to start some new programs and say, hey, you know what? You really need to get with one of us as a volunteer to determine whether or not you qualify to get forgiveness. And if you do, then maybe we can work it out to get somebody that's really skilled to help you through mm-hmm. that process. But mm-hmm. I think that's that's a gap. Yeah, that I believe will hopefully keep us from having too many gaps when we are ready to do the measurements and the metrics of what was the impact of this PPP program. You know, and I'm and I'm sure that you guys have also identified some of these resources as well as you guys yeah. are helping so many of these small businesses with just scaling, but also just yeah. sustainability in general. Um, and I want to talk a little bit about the inclusive procurement council and oh, yeah. and how that sort of fun. Can you tell us a little bit about that, Victor? Just um, because I, I just think it's such an incredible initiative that other cities should take note of in terms of just, and I don't want to give it away. Um, you can tell us a, li- a little bit about <laughs> it, but obviously I'm a huge, it. I'm a huge fan of the work that you guys are doing with these corporations in, in conjunction with the Birmingham business Alliance. You know, they say that in the Chamber of Commerce world, world, uh, all good ideas need to be stolen. And and we want, you know, we yeah. want people to feel and emulate what we're doing in Birmingham. And we're we're right. excited to be what who we think uh, a place where is a model for things that have been done in Cincinnati, have been attempted to be done in other places, but really uh we're building and framing out everything we're doing in support of the council, but specifically speaking of the Inclusive Procurement Council, it really all began in earnest when Mayor Randall Woodfin wrote an op-ed in the Birmingham Business Journal. That op-ed said, we need to do a better job of spending money with minority women-owned and disadvantaged business enterprises. Mm -hmm. Then Mayor Woodfin Mm -hmm. invited 15 companies to sign the pledge with him, 13 responded, 12 signed the pledge, 10 reported their spend in February of 2021. That began the vital program, valuing inclusion to accelerate and lift. Mm -hmm. From October of 2020 through February of 2021, when they reported spend, and we measured spend by total spend, total diverse spend, total local spend. And then that would be the number rolled up. And then we put it all together with all 10 companies reporting a lump sum figure of the overall impact of that spending. 
and then the city of Birmingham reported as well as the World Games in mm-hmm. Birmingham, Alabama, because right. World Games had some impact as well. In March of 2021, discussions began and we formed what we wanted to call the Inclusive Procurement Council. Mm-hmm. We intentionally went from calling it a diversity council because often what you find in in corporate America is the diversity professionals are advocates for small business, but they have no ability to spend money. So they're mm-hmm. advocating, mm-hmm. they're doing development mm-hmm. programs if they can, and sometimes right. those are very limited. They're doing mentor protege programs mm-hmm. and they say, okay, we think this one's ready. You refer them, they get a contract, they don't perform, they get kicked out and they never get to do business with that corporation again. That right. model is more than broken. That model is just no good. So what we've done with the council is once the council was formed in March of 2021, then the discussions began, how do we identify the companies? We don't know anyone. And that's why the Birmingham Business Alliance is a great partner, which means other regional chambers of commerce and economic development agencies throughout the nation could also be good partners. And because we know the companies and we know the ones that have great potential, but they don't have the capital, they don't have mm-hmm. the revenue, they don't have mm-hmm. 100 employees or a million dollars in the bank, but they can perform. So it becomes a partnership. So from March through May of 2021, we talked about that. We talked about what would it look like to bring suppliers in front of the top 10, 15, 20 companies? Because since Mm -hmm. the vital pledge was done and the reporting was done, Mm -hmm. we have added other companies that, although they didn't sign the original pledge, they're major, major corporations that have billions in revenue and Mm -hmm. spend hundreds of millions of dollars and have been also looking to do business with diverse businesses and haven't been able to find any. Meanwhile, mm-hmm. we've got them in the pocket at every chamber of commerce in the nation, at every right. economic development organization in the nation to a certain extent, and even the smaller chambers of commerce. Mm-hmm. So in June of 2021, we had our first four presenters. And then fast forward to recently, we had Chloe Gidry Reed and Higher Ground present. And it just goes mm-hmm. to show how this council has evolved to where we're attracting what we consider the best and brightest minority and women-owned companies and small businesses mm-hmm. to the table, higher ground included in that that number. Because so our partners, oh my, my, I mean, we we were thrilled to meet higher ground and learn of what Chloe's doing. I mean, the ingenuity oh, yeah. behind this platform is just phenomenal. And one of our largest members made that clear. And even at the meeting when Higher Ground was presented, it was clear to everyone in that room that this is a company we need to take a look at. And that just goes mm-hmm. to show how far we've come in attracting a best-in-class mm-hmm. Black woman-owned business to the table, because that's not always easy. It's not always easy to find the best-in-class And so because of this Inclusive Procurement Council, time and time again, we've got two companies presenting tomorrow. Uh, It is a Black woman, two Black women-owned companies. One is in the human resources space around culture. Uh, Mm -hmm. The other is uh, an employee that exited from uh, Alabama Power Company to form an energy 
company that she became a 51% partner in a $600 million energy company and will generate about $100 million in revenue in year two of her Birmingham-based company. And then that headquarters will move from its current location into Birmingham. So already we have a company that's going to have north of uh, $400 million in revenue, and it's going to be a Black, it is a Black woman-owned company. So that's, again, an example that's of- great how these relationships can be built and how we can influence the growth of diverse businesses in Birmingham, Alabama. And we can do the same thing in other cities and states throughout the country. That is absolutely amazing. So now does amazing does the BBA help broker some of those relationships, right? So we'll just take the mm. the lady that that exited corporate America to come into starting her own power company is bringing that firm now into Birmingham. Does does the BBA often say, "Hey, we've got a, a you know, a person over here and a company over here. This might make a good fit, right? We can create a WMBE firm." Or, I mean, do you guys look at that? Because I think that's one of the things that I have been talking about, postulating about for mm -hmm. some time is, is that oftentimes we'll talk to entrepreneurs and they're like, I really want to do something. I have this entrepreneurial spirit, but I don't know what, right? So they're kind of afraid to take that leap. We have Ying McGuire from the NMSDC saying we need to spend a trillion dollars with MBE and WBE businesses and corporates and people like myself who came out of corporate America leading supplier diversity efforts sit there and go, there's not enough firms out here for us to do that amount of work with, right? And so we've, we, those of us that are either advocates in NGOs like yourself uh, or in corporate America need to start helping creating the businesses to support us so that we can reach these important milestones. What are you seeing on the BBA side? Are you guys doing some of that? Uh, you know, what, what do you guys, what do you guys see there in Birmingham? We're monitoring and paying attention to those exits mm -hmm. as they occur, because what you find is that when a black executive exits corporate America, they tend to have the ability to succeed in business particularly mm -hmm. if they remain in the lane they were in in corporate America. Makes if sense. they exit yeah, and sure. say, I'm tired of being a project manager for engineering. People really like my hamburgers. I'm going to make hamburgers. Often that ends up <laughs> in a disaster situation <laughs> right. where you, you take your 401k, you got a half a million in your 401k, you go right. rent space and get an old restaurant and you you're paying 10 or 20,000 a month in rent and yep. two or three years later you're broke and the business has failed but when you exit like the uh, african-american woman did from the power company mm -hmm. and in essence probably and i think for years there were conversations going on with the company that she acquired mm -hmm. that you really should come and run this company. Many, mm -hmm. uh, there's an aging of CEOs at major corporations all there over are. the country. Yeah. There are. So the opportunity yeah. exists. We are working on a strategy right now mm -hmm. uh, for Black executives to invest in companies and become 51% owners without leaving their jobs. In other words, they become mm -hmm. the equity 51% equity partner. They acquire the company. They leave the management in place. And what that does is, is sometimes, sadly, uh, because the state of uh, situations that have not always been friendly mm. when uh, 
a black executive wants to purchase a business or a black business owner wants to purchase. And then once the buyer or the seller finds out that the buyer is black, then the deal is, is off. Oh, so wow. what mm-hmm. we're hoping is that the capital that can come from a black led investment group in the acquisition of a company that doesn't instantaneously become a company where the leadership or the CEO is black Mm-hmm. Then over time, as that capital is injected, as new opportunities are come to the table, because there's some opportunities that a majority white-owned company can't pursue because in right. some cases there are strict requirements for 30 mm-hmm. minority participation. So when you have an acquisition occur like just happened with a, a $600 million company, mm-hmm. then that new business owner knows I'm going to be able to generate that 100 million. In addition to me owning 51% of this 600 million, I'm going to be able to generate a hundred million in two years because I already know where those contracts are probably because she's the one that used to give, give those. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So it's, it's a win-win situation. We need more of it. Mm-hmm. We need more executives. I would say the short answer is that is a strategy. We're monitoring those that tend to be very successful. We had a a, a black woman owned uh, company. The executive exited from the power companies, worked in sponsorships at the power company, did a sponsorship type related company, and is thriving like thriving to the multi million dollar oh. phase. And that's uh, so we need more black executives Mm -hmm. to be business owners and to and then let them be the mentors to the Mm -hmm. smaller business owners that don't have the corporate experience, but learn from them. Because sometimes I believe there's pain in them learning from the BBA or from the MBDA or the SBA. Mm -hmm. We need more business mentors where we could say, hey, go meet with this business owner. They're generating 20 million a year. They'd be a great mentor to help you get from 500 grand a year to a million a year. Mm-hmm. And we need more of that. Yeah. I love being yeah. a mentor, but we, we want to get more mentors and not just in Birmingham and Alabama, mm-hmm. but even mentors in other cities and states. Mm-hmm. If we can get more cross pollination and cross functional support among business owners in different cities and states, Mm-hmm. then we can grow Birmingham and we can also grow revenue for black owned businesses, women owned businesses, Hispanic owned businesses in other parts of the country. Mm-hmm. Agreed. I love that. Agreed. Love that um, and speaking of plans, I mean, that is one of the major things that you guys do mm-hmm. um, at the Birmingham Business Alliance. Can you talk to us a little bit about how important having a strategic plan is for some of the small businesses and sort of the impact that you've seen from someone who comes in, doesn't have a strategy, taking what comes to them versus, you know, after coming through some of these programs and developing a true strategic plan, you know, what is the difference and how are they able to sort of achieve scalability and sustainability in general after having that? A strategic plan is extremely, extremely important. We Uh, Our first program under the business advisory contracted services was called Supplier Scale. 
the, the primary focus of supply scale was a partnership with Enterize and their Streetwise MBA program. And that Streetwise program, MBA, I love the way that sounds. Yeah. I'm curious about what that even means, but I love that. Go ahead. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So uh, the Streetwise MBA program takes uh, minority-owned businesses, women-owned businesses, and brings them together to give them practical information mm-hmm. that is contained in an MBA, but applicable to their own business. So by the time they finish the Streetwise MBA, they've touched finance, they've touched every part of the accounting, the income statement, the balance sheet, even our, we had one company, a white woman owned company that didn't know about her cash flow statement that you can, you know, Mm -hmm. if you've got QuickBooks, you can press a button and look at the traditional cash flow, which is Mm -hmm. Uh, financing and investing activities is different than your mm-hmm. finance cash flow. Right. And right. getting them to understand that helps them to realize when they walk into a bank or when they're talking to investors to be mm-hmm. able to know we've got all three financial statements that are required by CPAs and generally accepted accounting principles. And we understand them and understanding the ratios and realizing that a business plan a growth plan, a strategic plan. The benefit of that plan is for the business owner. When I had my business in Atlanta, mm-hmm. people would pay me a lot of money to do their business plan so they could go to the bank and get a loan. Oh, yeah. And I, as a young accountant, I was excited about, hey, this person's paying me to do their business plan. Now, mm-hmm. years later, I realized that that was not a good thing. I mean, people would get angry because mm-hmm. they go to the bank and couldn't get a loan. And they would have mm-hmm. paid me $5,000 to do a business plan that did not secure them a loan. And they'd be very, very angry. Mm-hmm. And now what I realize is a strategic plan and a business plan is not just yeah. to go get a loan. Yeah. It is right. to understand where you're going back. There used to be an old adage that probably many Gen Z and millennials may not know. Uh, that old adage that that says, if you don't have a roadmap, you don't know where you're going. How are you yeah. going to get there? How are you going right. to get to a destination? I think today the term would be, if you don't have a GPS, you're going to get lost. So <laughs> true. You know, I think that strategic plan is that GPS. Don't discredit us millennials here. We're, we're, we're smarter than I think people give us credit for. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I, I think the world of millennials. To me, I used to be, when I was 25, I was a millennial. So I, I I really think that there's a special relationship between baby boomers and millennials. I'm I'm a younger baby boomer and I feel like that I have a great relationship because I relate with I think that the the friction between baby boomers and millennials happen because we're so much alike. And I think it surprises mm-hmm. All of us, when we find that out, I feel like some of my older baby boomers never found that out. They never looked back at where they were at the age of 20, 28, 30, 35, and right. 40. And when, I, when I'm when i in a conversation with my millennial colleagues, I'm amazed that, to your point, Chloe, the genius and what, what they bring to the table. And I'm so pleased that I'm still here with my career because mm-hmm. everything you said is is so true. And what and the other thing I'll say about the millennial business owners, which is primarily what we have with supply scale, they mm-hmm. are hungry yeah, for information. They, they respect yes. people that can provide them with information. 
Mm-hmm. And to be honest, I didn't see that as much in the baby boomer generation. I can say that because I'm a baby boomer, so I can call it out. I think that we baby boomers benefited because many of us had corporate jobs, but I think that there were not as many corporation jobs for the millennial generation as there were for us. And the jobs that mm-hmm. that were able to be pursued by the millennial generation were just not as good as the kind of jobs we had where you could literally raise a family uh, on some of the salaries that we receive, but mm-hmm. much of that went away. But I believe that the embracing strategic plan preparation, mm-hmm. and I think three years, and that's what we did in the Streetwise MBA program, three-year growth plan. So we called it a growth plan. And I think for those that don't have access to a cohort like supplier scale can still create a business model, like a business model canvas and use that canvas Mm -hmm. to determine everything from customer segments to resources, key resources, all of the things they need and map out every business they have. Because many, many of us, you know, and when I love to talk about this topic, Chloe, because, you know, there's an old rap song that said, don't knock the hustle. So people need to learn the difference between going in as as my millennial friends will say, go get that bag. You know, if they're going after, you know, I need to get a contract. You know, I need a twenty thousand dollar contract. I need a two thousand dollar. One guy that was a business owner used to bug me about, you know, doing my deck and hooking them up with people to do a deck for two thousand dollars. And I'm like, that's not really a sustainable recurring revenue scenario. Right. I want to work with companies that have a recurring revenue opportunity. And it doesn't have to be, you know, debiting somebody's account every month, but having a system to where your mm-hmm. product or service has so much value to your current clients and customers and your potential mm-hmm. that they're seeking you out. And then that revenue is recurring. So you're going from project based. And I think we see this in the construction industry. You're going mm-hmm. from project based to really saying, hey, I'm, I have a sustainable revenue model that is a business model that is part of a strategic plan that I can look at every day, mm-hmm. every week, every month, every quarter, every year. And I can tell you how I'm performing quarter by quarter. And I can also influence because much of what you learn with a strategic plan is you've got the ability to decide if you want to build a hundred million dollar company, if you want to build a billion dollar company, if you want to build a hundred thousand dollar a year company or $200,000 a year and be a solopreneur. And you have to decide that, you know, if you decide you're going to build a multi-million dollar company, how many days are you going to be on the road away from your family? Mm -hmm. And so you've got to weigh all of that, but it's really And what I helped a lot of companies realize is with your strategic plan and your growth plan, you decide how big your company is going to be. It's not really luck. It's Mm -hmm. really the discipline that it takes to generate the revenue. And what what is your willingness to build a 10 or 20 or $50 million company or $100 million? Do you really want to do that? And oftentimes the answer is no. And I appreciate that because that means... This person understands the kind of life they want. No, I don't want to leave my house and be gone three to five days every week or even two days a week. I want to be Mm -hmm. at home every night. I want to be at church on Wednesday night. You know, so then those decisions can be made. And but you can still have a strategic plan for that. And I'd love to see more companies sell 
when they get ready to exit and not close. We've got too many businesses that don't have growth plans that include an exit. And that right. hopefully can change over time. You know, that and that is a great, great point, Victor. Uh, I know Such when I mentor companies, one of the very first questions I ask them was like, so tell me how does how does this end? Right. Mm-hmm. And they're like, what do you mean? We just started. I'm like, I know. But how does it end? Right. right. Is is it, are you going to pass this down? Is it a, a niece, a nephew, a son, a daughter going to take mm-hmm. over? Mm-hmm. Are you building to be bought? Are you doing this because you have nothing else to do and the wife would like to not see you as often as she is seeing you right now? Right. What is <laughs> what what is the end game to what we're doing? And and you know, they ask them, they go, Well, I don't understand. Why is that even important? It's like I'm still trying to get a contract. I was like, I understand. But if we don't know how we end. We don't know how we start. And if we don't know how we end, we don't know how we plan. If we don't know how we plan, we don't know what we do every day. And if you know where you're going, you know how to, what you're going to do each and every day to get to that goal. And you just don't sit there and kind of start throwing darts at the wall going, I hope this strategy works. Oh, I hope this strategy works. I hope this strategy works. Right. I've got a clear goal. I'm marching towards something. So I think that's that's critical. And I love hearing other business leaders like yourself out there kind of preaching that same story of you got to know what the end game is, right? Because if you don't, you're just going to find yourself five years later going, what did we do? So much working with early stage companies and startups that are in that space of going after uh, capital. Uh, and now I tell the same the same things they do, know, knowing what their pre-money uh, valuation is and their post-money valuation. Yep. I'm telling traditional business owners, you should know the same thing. Even if you're not going to ever get VC capital mm-hmm. or angel investment, you ought to know you should still what know. your valuation is. Right. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Right. And because I think other- I think. Go ahead. Oh, I was about to say, I'm so sorry, because if an opportunity comes along to sell, to merge, you mm-hmm. know, any sort of any sort of M&A activity, they're going to say, yes. so what's what's your price? You're not going to have any idea what your multiplier is. You're not going to have any idea what your base is. Right. And you're going to end up just kind of sticking your finger in the wind and making a best guess, if at all, because I mean that takes some time to know what your pre and post money valuation is. That takes some time. It's not something you just kind of cranked out real fast. And, you know, M&A opportunities, when they come up, they're not, they don't stick around for a long time. you got to have that data and have it up front. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can't even begin a conversation is really what no. it is because yeah. no. if somebody approaches you and has a number, here's what I'd like to offer you. And you haven't done the homework behind it and don't know what that means, half of that, then yeah, then you're not ready. And I think that right. that's also a red flag to anyone who's trying to acquire you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what's what's exciting about it is, you know, I worked with a company, I recruited a company out of uh, uh, Huntsville, Alabama. And early on, he knew, you know, and he it's always negotiable when you're trying to get money, but he oh, yeah. knew what his initial post money or pre money valuation was and what the post money valuation would be. And when he told that to his local investors, they said, no, it's not that. And now his valuation is multiple times that amount. And now I'm sure those investors wish they'd come on board early, but that's the risk that the investors take. When you really know, when you've got a handle on the demands in your market, when you know what your revenue is going to be, and you know that Mm. if I get a hundred grand, that hundred grand is going to help me generate a couple of million dollars because this is what I'm going to do with that hundred grand. And it's going to help me generate two million. But mm-hmm. you know, people are going to use the Shark Tank. Well, how can you tell me your valuation is two million dollars when you're not making that much money right now? And there's no way. And I'll give you, 
you know, I'll give you $50,000 for 30% of your company. No, you're not. Mm-mm. And that's from understanding your numbers. No, it goes right back to what we told our supplier scale cohort. Know your numbers so Absolutely. that you can communicate. Yes. Yeah. And I think knowing your numbers, but also if we go back to knowing what the end looks like, I mean, just going, I mean, it's just a basic principle of Stephen yep. Covey. Um, right. the seven, you know, habits of highly effective people start with the end in mind. And so mm-hmm. it's very hard to even entertain any of these discussions or to even think about if you don't know the numbers to have any of these conversations if you don't know where you're going to end and yep. where, wh- what that endpoint, because at the end of the day, you should be backing into that. Like if that's where you want to be and to your point, it's not that it's impossible. It's just building a plan and backing right. into that and knowing exactly who you want to be a potential acquirer and who you don't, who you want your customers mm-hmm. to be, what market segments you want to play into and all of that, all of it yep. comes into, into play when you start with the end in mind. Well, thank you so much, Victor, for coming on the show. Yes, this has been a great conversation. Thank you. Yes. Be sure to connect with us on LinkedIn at Chloe Guidry-Reed and Adam Moore and Victor Brown. And if you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and check out our previous shows. Please stay tuned for next time. Thank you for listening to Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground. We are grateful for the time you spend with us in participating in these conversations. Please review and rate and share our show as we are focused on growing awareness in the supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity space. If you'd like more information, please visit us at higherground.io. That's H-I-R-E ground dot I-O. Thank you for being here and we look forward to seeing you next week.